Howdy. You're listening to the Texas A&M RUF podcast. Hope you enjoyed the talk. Hey, y'all. See if we can get this working. Welcome to RUF. My name is Austin McCann. I'm RUF campus minister here. Uh, I honestly didn't know who would show up tonight. Uh, I knew no one would sit on the front row. I don't blame you. Uh, Look, I'm going to read for us tonight. We're going to be at 1 Corinthians chapter 6. It's going to be on the screen behind me here. It should be... Uh, we're going to be in 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verses 9 through 20, okay? If you have a bulletin, it's on your bulletin as well. Um, I'll give you some time to open up there if you need to. I'm going to read that for us and I'll pray. We'll get started. Alright, this is God's holy word. This is 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verses 9 through 20. Or do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived. Neither the sexually immoral, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor men who practice homosexuality, nor thieves, nor the greedy, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor swindlers will inherit the kingdom of God. And such were some of you. But you were washed. You were sanctified. You were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of our God. All things are lawful for me, but not all things are helpful. All things are lawful for me, but I will not be dominated by anything. Food is meant for the stomach, and the stomach for food, and God will destroy both one and the other. The body is not meant for sexual morality, but for the Lord, and the Lord for the body. And God raised the Lord, God raised the Lord and will also raise us up by His power. Do you not know that your bodies are members of Christ? Shall I then take the members of Christ and make them members of a prostitute? Never. Or do you not know that he who is joined to a prostitute becomes one body with her? For as it is written, the two will become one flesh. But he who is joined to the Lord becomes one spirit with him. Flee from sexual immorality. Every other sin a person commits is outside of the body, but the sexually immoral person sins against his own body. Or do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit within you? whom you have from God. You are not your own, for you were bought with a price. So glorify God in your body. You pray with me. Father, we thank you uh, for your word. You promise us that the grass withers and the flower fades, but your word alone uh, remains forever tonight. Uh, Lord, we trust in that truth. Would you help us tonight? Father, as we talk about a sensitive topic, talk about a topic that uh, is challenging for a lot of us, um, Lord, would you help us see the heart of Christ on display, that you are gentle and tender and kind. Lord, would you uh, draw near to us tonight? Would you speak through me? Would you uh, most of all be glorified and seen? It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Uh, yo, welcome to RUF. Really, if this is your first time coming to RUF, we're really glad you're here. Uh, really, we say this all the time, that you're never so good that you stand outside the need of God's grace. While at the same time, you're never so bad that you stand outside the reach of His grace. We really believe that. We believe that's what the Bible teaches. And so we hope that you experience that when you come to RUF, when you interact with me, the campus minister, when you interact with students here. We hope that, that when you leave RUF, that's what you actually taste to see if the Lord is good. Um, so you've been with us. We, we've been walking through our relationship series, okay? And looking at what the Bible has to say about how we relate to God, how we relate to one another, and how we relate to this world. And tonight we're talking about sex, okay? What does the Bible have to say about sex? Let me, let me just start with a couple things, okay? Uh, I, I want to acknowledge this. So, 
First, I just want to say this, is that I recognize that there is a wide range of sexual, sexual brokenness and sexual scars in this room tonight. And while there is a wide range, the reality tonight is that every person sitting in this room does not meet the standard, standard of Jesus' purity. And all of us have failed in this area of sexual immorality. Actually, the word for sexual immorality is porneia, okay? It, it does not mean simply adultery, but is a much broader term which refers to any sexual and lustful activity between two or more people outside of the context of marriage. That is a bare definition. We're going to unpack that in a second, okay? But the point is that tonight, no matter how pure you think you may be, all of us tonight are guilty of sexual immorality in one form or another, including the campus minister speaking to you tonight, okay? Secondly, I also recognize that there are some of you in this room who, who have been deeply damaged in some very unhealthy relationships or have had just really terrible things done to you growing up. Right? Things that are not your fault and you're still on the long road of recovery and trying to heal. Lastly, I know this, is that sometimes we think that the church and Christianity is really okay with respectable sins like lying and cheating or gossiping. But when it comes to sexual sin, nope. That's when you've gone too far. Jesus' blood just doesn't cover that. Or you're like a lesser Christian because of it. That is a lie. And that is wrong. Because some of you grew up in churches or backgrounds where the preacher or the teacher or maybe a parent really mishandled the Bible's view of sex and sexual immorality with a really... Kind of a fear-mongering, shame-inducing, very condemning approach. Probably even quoting some of our passage tonight that we're talking about. And so here is my prayer as we talk about this subject, okay? My prayer is that all of us would lead tonight with our eyes fixed on Jesus. That we would be reminded that He is our Creator, who designed the goodness and beauty of sex. That He is our gentle Redeemer, that heals us of our broken sexuality. And that He is our steadfast sustainer who gives us hope to walk in the newness of life through the transformative work of His gospel. That's my prayer. That where sin and sexual immorality abounds, you need to hear tonight, grace abounds all the more. Because of His Son Jesus. We rest in that hope, in that unwavering truth tonight. That is my prayer. So, so let's tonight consider four characteristics of sex, okay? First is the confusion of sex, the purpose of sex, the power of sex, and the greater beauty of sex. Okay, I'll repeat that if you're, if you're a note taker, okay? The confusion, the power, the purpose, and the greater beauty. So first, the confusion of sex. A little bit of background and context for our passage tonight. Paul is writing to the Corinthian church clear some of the confusion about the purpose and meaning of sex. Because many of the Christians in Corinth were operating from the belief that indulging in any and all of your sexual desires was perfectly acceptable. So much so that Paul in chapter 5 verse 1 has to say, hey, sleeping with your mom or your stepmom is not okay. Like, that was happening in the church, alright? Like, even non-Christian Paul said, say, even if you're not a you're a Christian, like you're, you're not a Christian tonight. But even Paul says that people have an understanding that incest is wrong and grotesque, and they won't tolerate it. 
Right, the, Christians, the, the Corinthians really believed that the meaning of sex rested in the selfish indulgence of satiating your own, your own sexual desires. That that was actually the key to freedom. Paul is saying tonight as he is addressing the Corinthian church, okay, you're missing it. And actually, none of you are concerned over how this is impacting and affecting the community and the real damage it is causing inside the church. Because verses 9 and 10, he is saying that, look, as a Christian, you are no longer enslaved to sin, but you're free. You're forgiven. You're washed. You're wiped clean by Christ's blood. Which now means that, that th- these things, they, they actually no longer control you. They're no longer your identity. That's what he's addressing. But this ancient problem, right, in the Corinthian church, it, it's not so ancient. Right, because it if I was to take a stab at this, like, like, I don't think our culture in 2023 on Texas A&M's campus is that much different in terms of, of, confusing, of confusion regarding the meaning of sex. Right? Especially on a university campus, at minimum, like, our culture shares this consumer approach to sex that causes a whole lot of confusion. And let me break that down for us. I want to talk about this consumer approach to sex, okay? Because our culture in the college campus especially, like, we elevate sex as so important, right? It matters so much that any attempt to restrict or forbid sex is itself forbidden, right? That to deny or restrict sex between consenting adults, it's actually unhealthy and wrong, right? To to forbid sexual desires is seen as old-fashioned as at the least, and dehumanizing at the best. Right, because a part, of the, part of the reason we consider it dehumanizing, especially with this consumer approach, to forbid sexual appetite is because we view it no differently than our appetite for food. Right? And this is exactly what Paul is addressing. The two popular slogans in Corinth during the time were this, that all things are lawful for me, or food was meant for the stomach. In other words, the Corinthian church was adopting the culture around them with the belief that the body really is permitted to have anything and everything that it craves. That was the belief. Like, so when you feel the need to eat, you go to the pantry, you get something to eat. Right? When you feel the need to have sex, you find that person, you feel that need. It's just a bodily appetite, and it's inhumane, right, to deny that appetite. If you need sexual release, you masturbate, you pull up TikTok, Instagram, Twitter, you have at it, right? You increase your body count if you want to. You go for it, right? If you want to keep sex in marriage, that's great for you. But if you want to express sex through porn and sleeping around and masturbation or with the same sex, then go for it. That's the view, right? And not only is Paul addressing here, this is so important, not only is Paul addressing the Corinthians' view of sex, actually beneath that, what he is doing is he is challenging their view of freedom. You see, to the Corinthians are saying that true freedom really does lie in satiating my personal desires, no matter the cost. And actually, when you hold up the Bible's view of that, it's actually saying, no, your desires are actually tainted with sin. Go back to Romans 3, chapter 6, chapter 12. Which means that to act with your sinful, unrestrained desires does not produce selfless freedom, but always self-centered slavery. Paul is saying this, 
This ideology isn't helpful, and it will dominate you and enslave you in verse 12. That's, that's the Bible's view, okay? I realize if you're a non-Christian tonight, what I'm doing is presenting the Bible's worldview, okay? Because when operating from this confused view of freedom, not only did some of the Corinthians believe that sleeping with your mom like, was okay if that desire feels good to you, right? But, but Corinthian Christians were justifying the use of prostitutes as well with this self-indulgent logic, right? This feels good to me. This, this feels freeing. Therefore, I can increase my body count no matter the cost. Okay, here's the confusing irony. Right? Because on the one hand, we, with this ideology, we, we argue that sex is so important. It is so central to who you are. It's so ingrained in your identity that the only thing wrong is to restrict and restrain those desires. While at the exact same time, we do everything we can to claim that sex really is no big deal, that it can be casual, that it's just a fun experience, and really nothing more. And as a result, instead of upholding it and cherishing it, we actually begin to belittle it and cheapen it, reducing one another to body parts. And sex actually loses its beauty and its value. Right? One author said this, the society tells us simultaneously that sex is no big deal, and at the exact same time, it's the most important thing in the universe. Sex is so meaningless that we can have random casual sex with our next door neighbor, yet sex is so hugely significant that we can't possibly live without it. That's confusing. <laughs> because if the purpose of sex is central to who I am, and, and I'm supposed to satisfy my, my desires, yet at the same time, I'm supposed to pretend that it's not a big deal, even though it's left a wake of unsatisfaction, unbearable pain, and hurt in my life. There's no wonder why so many of our relationships are left so confusing and full of shame. What I want to propose tonight is, what if there is a way through the confusion? Like, what if freedom looked like, even if you're a non-Christian tonight, looking through the lens of Scripture, just dare to... Dare to put those lens on tonight, okay? Allowing God, who designed the beautiful gift of sex, to actually bring clarity and life to this area in our lives. What if sex is a wonderful gift in its proper context, but a terrible God? What if, what if sex is so good and so wonderful and so powerful that God in His love for us gives us boundaries to guard the beauty and value of it? and actually teach us something about who He is through it. Right, with, with that, I want us to consider how Scripture shapes our view of sex and consider its purpose, okay? So let's launch into it, all right? The purpose of sex. Right, the purpose of something we talked about this throughout our series, right? Really, the purpose of really anything or something, for us to understand it, the way it works, if it's good or bad, or whether it's healthy or unhealthy, or whether it's operating correctly, like... You have to understand its person, its purpose. All right, silly example here, but but if we tried to host AM versus Mississippi State this Saturday in All Faiths Chapel, okay, like that that would be crazy, right? Not because Mississippi State's gonna beat AM on Saturday, but because of like <laughs> listen, y'all y'all probably will, but y'all need to know what you want, okay? Look, y'all you want us to beat you so Jimbo, you can have a huge fire, okay? I don't know. I don't know how you're we'll talk about that after, okay. But but, like, because we're terrible, so it's just going to be a terrible game. But, like, all face is not a stadium, okay? It, it's not a football field, right? That's not its design or purpose. 
Um, Flannery O'Connor, the famous Georgian-American novelist and short story writer, she was once asked, hey, how can you tell the difference between a Christian writer and a non-Christian writer in their works? And she said, oh, that's easy. A non-Christian writer always portrays freedom as being away from God and away from his rules. But a Christian writer always portrays freedom as living near God and within the confines of his design. Right? This statement is really beautiful, and it really rings true when, when thinking about the pur purpose and design of sex. Because as we talk about this, don't forget the creator behind the creation. Right? Think back to our second sermon we were talking about relating in a fallen world. Right? The lie that opened the door for sin to enter in the world back in Genesis 3 and deform all of our relationships is really believing at its core that God, in his character, is not good or loving. Remember the temptation that Satan offered Eve, right? She offered, she was twisting God's word to actually distort his character. See, this is so important because we will never trust God's purpose or design of something unless we are willing to trust who God is in and of himself, his character, and what the Bible says about who he is, that he is righteous, that he's loving, that he's holy, that he's just, that he's sovereign, that he's good. That is so important. Because with God's character behind the design, let's consider four ways Scripture talks about the purpose of sex. I'll go through these pretty succinctly, okay? First, Scripture tells us that the purpose of sex, yes, back in Genesis 2, all the way throughout Scripture, even Jesus repeats this, and uh, Paul is affirming this, all throughout Scripture, from the beginning of the story all the way to the end, that according to God's design, it is to be reserved only between a husband and a wife in the context of of a covenant of marriage. Right? Marriage, the Bible suggests, actually commands, is the only prop, proper context for any kind of sexual activity. We'll talk about this more in a second, I promise. Second, the purpose of sex the Bible holds out for us is that it actually does give amazing pleasure, and it's fun, and it was created to be enjoyed. Scripture has an entire book of the Bible devoted to romantic and sexual love in Song of Solomon the way that a bride and groom are, are actually called to adore one another. You see, like God is not ashamed that he made sex fun. <laughs> it, was, it wasn't like God designed like sex and he like designed all these nerve endings. He's like, well, I guess I'll just throw them down there. Like, like, he, like he designed it that way. Like, like it, it was meant to be pleasurable. Like it, it was all, it's awesome. It's meant to be celebrated between a husband and a wife. He isn't ashamed of it. And he calls us not to be either. Thirdly is this, okay? That, that a part of the purpose of sex, yes, you've heard this, I know, especially if you've just heard about Christianity, right? Is that it is for procreation. That, that this is obvious, okay? But a part of God's beautiful design of sex is, is to be enjoyed by a husband and wife so that they can be fruitful and multiply. Because sex actually creates life. This doesn't mean, hear me say this, okay? This does not mean if a husband and a wife cannot get pregnant that their sex life is somehow weaker or less holy or less purposeful. No. God is the one who gives children in his sovereign timing. Okay, we believe that. He also provides beautiful other avenues for children such as adoption, foster care, and different ways to have children. Okay, hear me say that. And lastly is this, probably the most important purpose is that a major purpose of sex is the communication of oneness. 
Look at 1 Corinthians uh, chapter 6, verses 15 through 16. Shall I then take the members of Christ and make the members of a prostitute? Never. Or do you not know that he who is joined to a prostitute becomes one body with her? For as it is written, the two will become one flesh. You see, Paul is saying that this is why indulging in your sinful desires is so damaging. <clears throat> because, because something is happening. Right? Like, the Bible is saying that sex does something. It, it communicates something. That whenever you sleep with someone, it actually, it actually binds you to that person. Whether that was your intention or not, all sexual activity has some kind of inescapable action of, of, of union. Tim Keller in his book, I think I quoted this two sermons ago, in The Meeting Marriage, he says this. The Bible says, don't unite with someone physically unless you're also willing to unite with that person emotionally, personally, socially, economically, and legally. Don't become physically naked and vulnerable to the other person without becoming vulnerable in every other way. Then, once you have given yourself in marriage, sex is a way of maintaining and deepening that union as the years go by. Right, so in some way, like, yes, sex is kind of like pouring concrete. Okay? Like, if, if you've ever built a deck or a fence post or if you've ever set like a mailbox, when, when pouring quickcrete, like, its purpose is to bond material, to give it some type of compressive strength that seals and binds it together. Sex is the same way. That's how God designed it. He designed it in such a way that it makes promises of lifelong commitment. And it communicates that. And therefore, in marriage, it is incredibly healing and encouraging. Because it is saying that despite our fight today, despite how I hate your guts, like, despite no matter what our week looked like, I'm still here. I'm still with you. I am still yours. I'm not going anywhere. I'm yours today, tomorrow, in the next day. And since marriage is a commitment, then sex reaffirms that commitment. That's its purpose. You see, but the reverse is true also. Because whether you're like cohabitating or, or dating or, or just having like one night stands for fun, right? Like sex still communicates, I am wholly and exclusively committed to you. I am one with you. But it's untruthful. Because you could wake up the next morning and be gone. Um, Vanilla Sky. I don't know if anybody heard that movie. Okay. It's a movie back in the 90s. Tom Cruise. Uh, I don't really recommend it. Uh, but, like, it's Tom Cruise, classic hotshot playboy guy in town. Everybody knows him. He's kind of promiscuous. And he starts kind of hooking up with Cameron Diaz, who is also the same, right? And, and they kind of become friends. They start having casual sex together. And then, shocker, he decides he wants to end it, and he pursues, starts pursuing another woman. And there's this kind of fascinating scene where Cameron Diaz finds out, and she drives over and kind of like for, somehow forces him into the car. And it's this really intense scene where she is driving, and she is angry, and she starts screaming at him. And she looks at him and says, when you sleep with someone, your body makes a promise, whether you do or not. And she nailed it. That sexual behavior always makes promises. It always says, I'm all in. I'm yours. 
whether that's your intention or not. So sex is the language of oneness, okay? It, it always says, I'm united to you in a powerful way. And in marriage, it communicates and reinforces what is true, that I'm committed to you forever. But outside of marriage, it's, it's actually deceiving and damaging because I'm giving you my body, but I'm withholding everything else. In other words, se sex and marriage, okay, is always intended to be selfless, putting the needs of your spouse before your own and a lifelong commitment. And yes, outside of marriage, sex, it can never be selfless. Let me say that again. Outside of marriage, truly sex can never be selfless, no matter how much you think you love that person. Because what you're doing is you're saying, I'm all yours, but I'm still withholding something else from you. This is not meant to shame you. We're going to get to hope, I promise, okay? The Bible has an incredibly high view of sex. God reserving sex to be enjoyed in marriage is not withholding something, but instead it is actually an expression of His love for you because He understands how powerful it is. Right, and that leads us to our third point, the power of sex. Think, like, why, why does Paul in verse 18 say flee sexual immorality? Like, why does he say that? Like, okay, come on, Paul, like, this seems a little over the top. Like, this is a lot, right? He doesn't say consider staying away from homosexuality, like, or from sexual morality. Like, he doesn't say be strong and go conquer sexual morality. He doesn't say be near it, but don't do sexual morality. He says run. He actually says flee. Like, so, so why why is Paul so over the top here? Right. This is not because sex is bad or evil. No, it's beautiful. It's precious. And Paul understands that it is also incredibly powerful. Right? The scriptures are asking you to, to actually dare to respect the power of sex. Really. That, that when used according to its design, it is powerfully good. But when misused, it will get out of your control and it is actually powerfully damaging. Right? To, to illustrate this, th think about a nuclear power plant. Right? A nuclear power plant is really good, but also very powerful. Nuclear energy protects air quality by producing massive amounts of carbon-free electricity. It provides heat for metal refining. It generates hydrogen as a clean-burning alternative for fuel vehicles. It's great. When there is something that powerful, what happens? There is a ton of security. There are fences. There's proper training, a ton of training that goes into it. There's warnings everywhere. Not because people want to restrict fun in life, but precisely the opposite. Because it is wise and loving to do so. It would be foolish to be casual with something that has the magnitude of power of a nuclear plant. Or to make this more applicable, any hunters in the room? Does anybody hunt? I'm sure. Right? Like, if, if you are a hunter, okay... The, you, you, you actually kind of know this. The scariest person to hunt with is not necessarily the person who's never hunted before, but it's actually the person who handles their weapon carelessly and casually. Right? Not understanding its power. That's why if you go hunting, you, you always treat a gun like it's loaded. Always. It's rule number one. This is why in Song of Solomon that I mentioned earlier, okay, a book entirely dedicated to sexual love and romance and marriage, 
There's this common refrain that says this, and I think it's beautiful. It says, do not stir up love or sex. Do not awaken it before it's time. Meaning that in its proper time and place, sex is so wonderfully and beautifully powerful, but it can also be caused to use incredible damage. This is why the catchphrase, casual sex, is absolutely an oxymoron. It just doesn't exist. This, it really does explain for why some of you, it can feel almost impossible to get over the person that you first had a sexual encounter with. Like, like for some of you, like your first real sexual encounter, probably in high school, maybe in middle school, and maybe you didn't go all the way, but you were so sexually involved at, at some level and y'all broke up, and here in college even, months later, maybe years later, you still find that you're somehow hung up on that person. And it's really actually hard to get over. Or, or even for some of you who, who may be currently dating, right? That sex has created so much jealousy and, and possessiveness and obsession, it kind of feels like you're trapped because you're bound to that person in a way. I'm telling you I know that feeling and it's scary. Right? This power explains also why pornography can also become such a heavy addiction. And it's so powerful because it worms its way into our hearts and makes us believe what is wrong is right and what is right is wrong. That anything that we can do to justify why we do it. Right? This is not meant to shame you because at the end we're talking about hope. But it is important for us to ask. Like, are we taking Paul's call seriously? Do we respect the power of sex? Do you have some kind of respect for it? Like, are we flirting with it? Or are we actively taking steps to flee it? By way of application, because I love you all, okay, and I want to see you growing in holiness, encouraging one another to do the same, okay? Hear me say this, all right? I'm not here to police everything that you're doing in dating, okay, in your dating relationship. That's not my job. But... But I think it would be unloving of me to not mention that there, yes, is a difference between affection and arousal in your dating friendships. Right? There is a difference in showing one another a friendship, showing one another affection maybe in a handhold or a hug or an occasional kiss versus watching a movie at 11 p.m. at night and laying down on the couch for two hours and making out. Like, th- that is not fleeing. Listen to me. There is no verse in the Bible that says how far is too far, right? And the question that we should not be asking, because I'm with you, I asked it when I was dating, like, how close can I get to sinning without sinning? Right? Actually, but in exercising wisdom, it, it should be, the, the question we should be asking is, am I glorifying God in our dating relationship and fleeing temptation? Do I care enough about the person that I'm dating that I'm willing to ask? Am I putting her or his needs before my own and protecting them by protecting one another from fleeing from temptation? That's actually loving and caring for someone in a dating relationship. Hear me say, we talked about this last week or two weeks ago, you won't do this perfectly, but it is something that we should be striving for and fighting for. Right? This even goes beyond dating. Like for some of you, it's a laptop that has no filter. Like, it's your phone on social media late at night when you're scrolling through Instagram or TikTok or Snapchat or Twitter or X or whatever. Like, or we start 
We start having self-pity on ourselves. Man, it's been a really long day. Like I, I just need to go home and I deserve this, right? I need some kind of break, some kind of release. The question that we need to be asking, and I want to ask you tonight, is where are you hiding instead of fleeing? Like, where are you hiding instead of fleeing? That's the greatest danger is to hide. That's exactly where this world and Satan wants us, is to be hidden. You need to hear me say, I am a resource for you. Guys in here, please come talk to me. Don't hide. You are looking at someone broken. You are looking at someone who has dealt with these things. Okay? Please don't be afraid to come and talk to me. And ladies, the same. I'm also available to you. And if you feel unsafe in that area, my wife is available to you. I know plenty of senior RUF girls in here who are available to you. I have plenty of connections at our church that are available to you. Okay? Please do not hide. That is exactly where, where sin festers. That is where you will, you will actually begin to die, wither away. Go talk to a trusted roommate. Go talk to a trusted friend. Respect its power and guard it like a nuclear power plant. And then flee. <clears throat> Let me end with this, okay? So we've seen the confusion. We've looked at the purpose. We've seen its power. Now let's look at the greater beauty of sex, Okay? See, if you want to see the importance of the power and the ultimate beauty of sex, you have to see what, what sex is ultimately about. Like, why does it exist? Look at verse, six, uh, uh, verse 15 again. Do you not know that your bodies are members of Christ? And then verse 17. He who is joined to the Lord becomes one, one spirit with him. And then verse 19. Your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit. Do you see it? Right? Over and over again, as Paul is talking about sex and its power and how it communicates being one flesh with another person, how it says, I am all yours, and though I see you naked and unashamed, I love you, and I'm giving myself to you wholly. He keeps pointing back to Jesus and saying, you are members of His body. You are one flesh with Him. You, Christian, tonight are united with Christ. You see, the greater beauty of sex is not sex itself. Right? If sex is not the point of marriage, but it is instead meant to serve the marriage in strengthening an earthly union, and if earthly marriage, like we talked about last week, is meant to display, ultimately, the union and love of Christ and how he, of what He has for His bride, the church, then sex is a gift of God. It's a shadow it's a, it's a picture, it's a signpost that points to the greater and more beautiful reality that you are, you and I are united with Christ forever. His body is our body. His death is our death. His life now and forevermore is now your life. Let me be clear. Christianity does not believe that God has sex with people. Okay? No, no like pagan religions believe that. Actually, Greek mythology believes that. A part of actually talking about sex in Christianity is actually demythologizing sex. Because in Greek mythology, all the gods and the demigods exist because the Greek gods would intermingle and have sex with humans. Even in Islam and Mormonism, promise to have virgins and sexual satisfaction in heaven because it's one of the ultimate rewards. Christianity is very different. Because on the other hand, there will be no marriage or sex in heaven. 
Because we will be perfectly united, body and soul, to our Lord. There's no need for it. Which means, you need to hear this tonight. If, if you never have sex in this life, you have not missed out on anything. If you do not have sex in this life, you have not missed out on anything. Because unless you see that sex is leading you, pointing you to the real place of love and intimacy and oneness, then you're going to miss it. You will forever stay empty and full of shame, even in the best marriage. Because you're obsessed with the picture, the shadow, rather than the real thing. Right? You've been to concerts, probably most of you went to the Zach Bryan concert. Right? <laughs> It just kind of irks me, like, it's okay if you've done this, like, I've done this. Like, when someone pulls out their phone, and they literally video the entire concert, and they're looking at their, at their phone the entire time, instead of actually looking at the real thing, and you're, like, standing behind them, you're like, stop. Like, the Instagram story's not worth it. Like, put it down, you know? Like, it, it's not wrong to, to want intimacy, to want oneness, to want love. We're designed that way. But Jesus promises to fulfill and satisfy that in His Gospel. Meaning you can live a life without sex your entire life and be fully sustained by the love that Jesus already has for you in His Gospel. But most of the time, the problem is, is that we're so obsessed with sex, the picture, that we miss out on what, is, what it's actually ultimately pointing to, which is our union with Christ, the real thing. Sex is a beautiful gift. It's a shadow. It's a signpost to be enjoyed and, yes, to strengthen an earthly union of marriage. And whether we are married or not, it points to a greater reality, a greater union, a greater beauty of the oneness that you already have in Jesus. You need to hear this evening, especially if your heart is weary tonight. Especially if you're tired. And especially if you're sitting in here tonight full of shame over your sexual brokenness. You are not alone. On February 3rd, 2009, a pastor by the name of Matt Chandler shared a transformative moment in his life that has also impacted mine and I'm sure many of yours. While he was a freshman in college, Chandler shares the story of how he and a few of his colleagues had been evangelizing to a single mother who had come back to college to earn her degree. And this woman had a lot of heartache in her life. And she was currently actually in an affair, and it was really messy, but she was still kind of curious about Christianity. And she had never been to church. She didn't really know, know a whole lot about Jesus. And after many attempts of inviting this woman to church, Chandler and his friends finally invited her, and, and she, she finally accepted. And so they go to this kind of like worship service, church service that... Chandler's friend was playing in. As they're sitting in the service, the, the pastor kind of just stands up there and he goes, all right, tonight we're going to talk about sex. And, uh, and Chandler's like, oh my gosh, <laughs> like, of course, like the night that I bring this woman, like, like who has no, no idea about Christianity, we're talking about sex, right? That may be you tonight. <laughs> but like, like how awkward. And as the pastor begins his sermon, he, he pulls out a red rose and he starts to smell it and like wave it around. And then he just tosses it into the crowd with about a thousand students. And he tells them, he says, I want you to smell that rose. I want you to feel its texture. I just want you to pass it around. And so he just kind of continues preaching and, 
And Chandler is sitting there fuming. Because what he is hearing is one of the most fear-mongering, mishandled, shame-inducing sex talks that he's ever heard. Like, those classic, like, you don't want syphilis, you know, like, be careful, and everybody's smiling until you got herpes on your lip. Like, like some of that crap, you know? And Chandler, like, has Kim, this woman, woman like, sitting next to him. And he is so angry. He's looking at this pastor, and he's like, what are you doing? Like, what are you doing? And as the pastor is wrapping up his sermon, he kind of like looks out to the crowd, and he's like, hey, who has my rose? Like, who's got the rose? And this guy, like, kind of walks up, and he hands the pastor the rose. And the, and the rose, of course, is like, the stem is broken, and it's mangled, and it's, like, beaten up, and, and it's like... It's like gross, all the petals are missing. And like the crescendo of this pastor, like his crescendo of his entire sermon, his point, was to hold up that rose and say, who would want this? Who would want this rose? And Chandler started seething in anger. Legitimately anger, wanting to hurt this pastor. And he did everything in his power not to scream out, Jesus wants that rose. Jesus wants that rose. That's the point of the gospel. That He made Him who knew no sin to be sin on our behalf. That we might come to Him and receive His righteousness. Yes, while we were sexually broken, sexually immoral sinners, Christ died for us. You and our, you and I are the rose tonight. That's true. That is the greater beauty of the gospel, Aguilar. This is the great, greater beauty of the union that we have in Christ. It's only when we, when we begin to believe out of this freedom, out of this grace, out of this clarity of our union with Christ that we will begin to be reminded that this God, He is our Creator who designed the goodness and beauty of sex. That He has gone to great lengths to protect it for our good and for His glory to display our union with Him. That He's our gentle Redeemer who heals our sexual brokenness. And that while we are still sinners, Christ died for us. And that He is our steadfast sustainer who gives us hope to flee and to be freed and walking in newness of life and the transformation of the work of the gospel. Where sin and sexual immorality abounds, grace abounds all the more because of His Son, Jesus. Are you flee to Him. Don't hide. Rest in the hope and the unwavering truth that you are united to Him forever. That truth can never be taken away. What he starts, he always finishes. That's an invitation. Let's pray. Father, we confess that when talking about a subject like this, we are blind. We, we need your help. We need your vision. We need your eyes to see. Would you help us to walk in newness of life? Father, would we believe and trust and remember again, be reminded again of the sweet and never-ending grace that you have given us in your gospel? 
that tonight we, we stand here as sexually broken people, but it doesn't end there. We are redeemed people. That is our new identity, that we are washed, we are sanctified, we are wiped clean through the blood of your son Jesus. Would you help us to believe that truth? Would you help us to walk in that truth? Would you help us to put sexual immorality to death and live unto righteousness? Because you've enabled us to do so through your Holy Spirit, through your word. Lord, we need your help. We trust that you will help us. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. We hope that you've enjoyed this episode of the Texas A&M RUF podcast. If you're interested in joining us for a large group, we would love to see you at All Faiths Chapel on the north side of campus across from Sabisa at 8 p.m. on Wednesdays. Go ahead and follow at AggieRUF on Instagram for updates about any other events we're putting on. We hope to see you around. Thanks and gig'em.